1: So fans are definitely driving Dogecoin higher. uh, And it's kind of interesting. You can't say
0: without laughing either.
1: (laughs) To mark a day known for celebrating pot smoking because they were trying to get to that, what, 42 Uh, cent mark?
0: Hashtag Doge Day.
1: (laughs) It has jumped, though. You know, you laugh, but Dogecoin has jumped more than 400 percent and now has a market value of more than $51 billion. Tim, $51 billion.
0: I'm shaking my head. Okay,
1: me too. So let's get into it, what we need to know. Venmo also coming out and allowing customers to buy, sell, and hold cryptocurrencies. What we need to know with Bloomberg News cross-asset reporter Katie Greifeld. She's on the phone in our New York City bureau. Where shall we begin on this?
2: (laughs) You guys are really down on Dogecoin. I think it's almost beautiful. In the doghouse, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. But (laughs) i I mean, it's just based on nothing. It's purely speculative. It's just people having fun. It's not trying to be anything. It's not. You know, Bitcoin, you're trying to crypto advocates are trying to pitch it on balance sheets, you know, put it in your portfolio. Dogecoin, I don't think it's ever going to be the reserve currency of the world. And I don't think it wants to be. Do people know this? Do they understand what it is about? I think, I mean, if you look at some of the memes on Twitter and TikTok, because I mean, this is where this is all being created, this push into Dogecoin. It does seem like everyone is in on the joke that there is nothing backing this. It's not for real. And I, I mean, you still could lose money, but it's I mean, a single Dogecoin will cost you about 34 cents right now. So a lot it's more expensive low. than it used to be. It is. It is more expensive, but it's not, you know, Bitcoin at $56,000 a coin now.
0: So, Katie, I'm, I'm, I'm going to out you a little bit, but I know you spend a lot of time in the Wall Street Bets forums on Reddit. <laughs> you do spend a lot of time looking at this stuff online and what's actually happening in the forums. What's the conversation about Dogecoin that's happening right now online?
2: It's actually fascinating, Tim. And uh, you know, I'll admit, I spent a lot of time on Twitter. But it's interesting that you are seeing a sort of fissure in the crypto community huh. right now, because you do have the you know crypto advocates, people who are trying to really do serious work here and present crypto as a real asset class, and then you have the Dogecoin crowd who are just having fun making memes, you know, punting dogecoin around so you are seeing this fissure i've been talking to a few crypto investors about this that it it opens the crypto community up to criticism because just this unbridled s- speculation is something that the crypto space is trying to mature past so the dogecoin may- mania it might sort of slow that process down i mean are people going to
1: ultimately lose a lot of money here
2: it's a good question i mean with any sort of you know just wild speculative asset. If we look at GameStop, people absolutely got crushed here. And it's the same sort of push that's uh, fueling this Dogecoin bid that people want to be in on the joke. They want to participate in the game. And the game right now is (laughs) pushing Dogecoin to $1. I mean, obviously, you know, the price tag is completely different. But if you put a lot of money in Dogecoin, you should be prepared to lose it. Because again, there's no fundamental backing here. It's based on nothing, at least GameStop is a company,
0: and at least at least Bitcoin. <laughs> a there's a, a, a this is a point that that Mike McLone makes all the time, Katie. Bitcoin. There's a, a limited supply of Bitcoin, but with mm-hmm. Dogecoin, they're just they're just printing it, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. There's there's no cap on supply here. You can't even make the scarcity ar- argument that you could with Bitcoin, as you point out. So again, just no fundamental ba- backing. It's Its price is entirely determined by what someone is willing to buy it at. at. Kate,
1: $51 billion is a huge market. I mean, are most of the bets on it small players just taking a little piece of this? Or do we have anybody who's like a whale in this market potentially?
2: If there is a whale, I would love to find them and talk to them. But as far as as I can tell... But if they do
1: something, they could make this market unwind in a heartbeat.
2: Absolutely. Because, I mean, you have seen a big retail bid here, but this is not a very liquid market there. It's yeah. I mean, it's minuscule compared even to Bitcoin. So you could make waves if you were to buy, I don't know, how however much you want, a big amount. But still, I mean, it's it's I don't I'm not sure that anyone is actually doing this. I mean, institutions, sure, they're starting to embrace Bitcoin a little bit, but That narrative doesn't exist for Dogecoin.
0: Hey, Katie, we only have about 15 seconds left. Are we still talking about this in a week, or is it going to be over?
2: I hope so. I'm having so much fun. Oh, you hope
0: we're still talking about it?
2: (laughs) Should we
1: be talking about it in two weeks, just quickly?
2: Probably not. Hopefully, we're focusing on earnings.
1: (laughs) Because you know what? That's actually fundamentals. Exactly. (laughs) Good stuff. Uh, Katie, thanks. Katie Greifeld, cross asset reporter at Bloomberg News. She is in our Bloomberg New York City bureau.
0: Dogecoin, fundamentally awesome. Dogecoin. Okay.
1: It's a dog, (laughs) or what is it?
0: It is. (laughs)
1: So, like many industries, the music industry really faced doom at the start of the pandemic. Yet, as Bloomberg's Devin Leonard writes, for all of its unsettling moments, the past year has actually been pretty good for record company executives. Devin checked in with one in particular. So, sharing what he found out is Bloomberg Businessweek project and investigations reporter Devin Leonard. He joins us on the phone in New York City, along with Joel Weber, Bloomberg Businessweek editor on the Access Line from Brooklyn. I've already decided the character in this story, Joel, he needs like his own reality show. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, mean, he's kind of
3: living, living his version of that um, and you know this story sort of actually began pre-pandemic when when Devin was like we should like figure out what the music industry is like right now um, because you know in the era of streaming like the things have changed and what what Devin kind of found is that for executives in particular um, streaming era is, is pretty great but you know musicians can often feel differently but Kevin Lyles is really the Person that um, Devin's story centers on, and and what has uh, Kevin's journey been like in the streaming era, Devin? Well, I think, you know, I started I started reporting this thing, you know, you know, before the pandemic, and I was trying to find somebody who'd sort of been through, you know, you know, the the up to, up, to up times and then the down times and then the you know come back around times, you know, with streaming. So when I caught up with him, you know, originally in you know February twenty twenty you know, he, he he said he was, you know, he's fifty-one. he said he's having the, the, the time of his life, and then all of a sudden, the pandemic hits. And that, um, that's all because the streaming pandemic hits, it looks like streaming starts to dip, and then streaming just goes through the roof. Uh, you, you know, Spotify subscribers, you know, were up for the year 17%. Apples were up 32%. And record companies get a huge slice of all of the, you know, the revenues from those streaming services. So, he's riding that but he's having to deal with all these artists who you know who can't tour and you know you know are depressed and his staff all these people young people working in you know the little new york apartment so so he's you know i, I think it's been great for him you know living in out this big house in cresco new jersey but he's he also has a lot of people to tend to and sort of play therapist too.
0: What's he telling them? How is he? How is he getting them through this? I mean, this is a difficult time for everybody, but for people whose livelihoods uh, obviously depend on touring, and for artists who expected to be able to uh, tour to back up a, a, a re- new release, it's been really detrimental to them.
3: Well, I guess I guess the company you know gave a lot of people home studio equipment, and you know it's, you know it's, you know so they'll, they'll keep recording. They also supplied a lot of them with uh uh, you know, uh PlayStation Fives to, to you know to to keep busy. <laughs> I mean some have some you know have that continued to do really well. You know, Young Thug, one of their artists, he had sixteen songs on the billboard, you know, top one hundred in the last year. Megan Stallion, you know, had her debut album in you know, in November that was hugely successful. You know, she was nominated for four Grammys one three. So I think some people, especially in sort of pop and hip hop and maybe maybe country are doing better you know doing okay maybe in streaming but a lot of other people they weren't making a lot of money in streaming to begin with and then when the the touring money went went away they really got socked and and, you know i talked to you know one of those folks in the story who's very famous too
1: what's kevin's take though like there is such a battle between those who produce music those who distribute it (laughs) whether it's music company executives or streaming services what's What's Kevin's take on this in terms of, you know, people who produce music having more control of of it and ownership? I have to say, there's one tidbit in your story about David Crosby, who, because he couldn't tour, he had trouble making his mortgage payments. And that led to him, you know, selling his songwriting catalog. Like, I couldn't even get my head around that. Someone as successful as him finding, you know, and listen, we all manage money differently. But nonetheless, you would have thought he'd be okay.
3: Well, Carol, I think, as, as he said, uh, I, I, I think that's also more common than you think. And that's one of the things that I think figured in the minds of a lot of people, you know, who, you know, who sold their, their songwriting, you know, catalogs around this time, you know, there are certain kinds of music to do really well, in, you know, in streaming, you know, like I said, hip hop and pop, but I think. A lot of a lot of older music, you know, you know, may not be streaming as much, and I think I think for those for those folks, they really they had to make some tough decisions. But that, along with, they're also facing, you know, the you know the prospect of you know higher taxes and you know higher capital gains taxes, and, you know, and that figured into people's people's decisions as well. But 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 you know it, you know it's, it's been a really really tough year, and, and it's still not clear exactly when. You know, people are going to be touring again. You know, we you know, going over to other countries, going to Canada, going to, going to Europe. When's that going to happen? You know, you know we, we don't really know yet. Devin, I'm curious. You got to hang out with with Kevin and and crew. Just what was it like to hang out with him?
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, it was really fun. I mean, th- th- that was the whole thing. You know, last spring, I, I ate. You know, I ate lunch at a barbecue joint with, with with Kevin and the rapper, and I, and and you know, I thought that was. You know, fascinating just to see how he relates to artists. And, and, and I kind of really wanted, you know, I was kind of begging them to let me do more of that with him. And then they were kind of hesitant. And then the pandemic hit and the story didn't come out. And then they were bothering me. Are you going to write the story? Are you going to write the story? <laughs> and finally I said, hey, listen, I'll, I'll write the story, but you have, you have to really let me hang out and do more of that, you know, with Kevin. And they said, well, okay, we'll let you know. He has to, that's something he's going to do in an afternoon where he's going to go out and see Fetty Wap in the studio and give him a big plaque. So I wrote along. With that, no, it's you know, Kevin's really funny. You can just see how you, you can see why he's so successful, why he has all these relationships. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've watched him in action. I, you know, that's not you know, you know, that that stuff is real.
1: It's why I want to be Devin Leonard when I grow up. I'm just going to put that out there, Devin.
3: (laughs) You You can beg people. Yeah,
0: right. (laughs) Hey, 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 Devin, I wonder what happens uh, on the other side of the pandemic to the industry. And, you know, given that it has been able to adapt and and that artists have have been able to find this with Spotify and with Apple Music and with virtual touring and home equipment, what does it look like? Uh, And what does it look like for people like Kevin Lowes?
3: Well, you know they're going to be in, in, in great shape. I mean, the, the, the fact that in, you know in the U.S. alone, know 83 percent of the music industry's re, sorry, the recorded music industry's revenues come from streaming now. Um, you know that's you know that's great. That's you know that's solid money. That's why even in the midst of the pandemic, the Warner Music Group, I guess you know they went public. The, you know the largest, the world's largest music company, Universal Music Group. They're planning to you know an IPO later this year i mean you have to remember it you know they were dealing with piracy you know the, the the death of the cd even digital downloads weren't doing that that great you know the continued growth of streaming is you know is heaven sent for them you know you know whether or not you know it works for all artists is another question but for record labels it's fantastic and it's going to keep being fantastic
1: all right, we're going to leave it there. Next time you're going on, you know, road trip with these guys, uh, Tim's <laughs> available, oh, yeah. I'm available, Joel's available. We'll just, you know, come along with you. Um, Devin Leonard, thank you. Projects and Investigations reporter. He's always a fun read. Bloomberg Business Week on the phone in New York City. Check that story out in the magazine this week, along with Joel Weber, editor hey, of
0: Business Week. We're going to get vaccinated. We're fully We're fully vaccinated soon, so we can do this stuff. We can totally be
1: there yeah. with Devin.
3: You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Messer and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio.
1: So it's Wednesday, 420,
3: 2022, no, it's
1: 2021, <laughs> I just want to be, I'm not even going to touch that, okay? I, it's Tuesday, <laughs> it's Tuesday somewhere, <laughs> I just want it to be 2022, it's 420, you know what that means, uh, it is my husband's birthday, but that's not oh, what we're talking about, I know, Happy
0: birthday. Thank you. Uh,
1: it's also become known officially, unofficially as a marijuana holiday.
0: Yeah. It- it's official it's official it's google official.
1: it because they're still not quite sure the connection there's lots of reasons <laughs> it's why it's official more importantly though the cannabis business it's a big one and growing Bloomberg reporting at the start of the year tim that the cannabis industry is finally finally going to hit the gas pedal in 2021
0: and look it makes sense increasingly we're seeing states on a state-by-state basis make it legal not just for medicinal but for recreational there just needs to be a federal law to make it okay for these companies to Handle something that's not cash.
1: One and done. So let's bring in Kim Rivers with some thoughts on the state of the business. She's CEO of the cannabis company, True Leave. It's a seed-to-sale, vertically integrated cannabis company. And she's with us on the phone in Florida. Kim, so good to have you here. How are you? What's your year been like? Oh, I am great. Happy 420. Um, (laughs) And so it's
4: a fantastic day to be be joining you today. And uh, the year has been, uh, you know, incredibly busy. Um, But, you know, we've been very busy, really... Since, since the beginning of last year, um, you know, we saw incredible increased demand um, throughout the COVID period. And are um, now, as we come out of COVID, kind of have a little bit of a rebalance in terms of how our customers are doing business with us. But demand remains very, very strong um, across all of the states that we that we do business with.
1: What does that rebalance mean? You say demand is strong. Is it not as strong as it was? And just yeah. talk to us a little bit about the rebalance. No,
4: yeah. it yeah, no, it it is. So what I mean by that is when we entered 2020. Uh, so to give you a couple of quick stats um, for our business, and we have, um, you know, at that point in time, I think we had about, uh, I think around 50 or so stores um, open. And so during that during that time before COVID, we had about 70% of our business was walk-in, so just folks coming into our retail stores. About uh, 20% was, uh, you know, call ahead or online pickup. And then about 10% was delivery at the height of COVID. Obviously, that that behavior changed dramatically, and so about um, 60% was uh, online or pre-orders um, for pickup. About um, 20% was delivery, and then a small about 10% was walk-in business. And so we're seeing that shift back a bit. Although interestingly, and I don't think this is unique for cannabis, but um, for for a lot of retailers, you know, interestingly, the uh, the pickup, the online ordering uh, channel has remained very strong. So that's still at around between 50 and 50. So that certainly was very sticky, um, with deliveries going back down to that 10% number that we saw um, pre-COVID. But demand overall remains incredibly strong. So if we just use Florida as an example, uh, when we exited 2020, there were about 2,500 patients every week, Florida's medical program, entering the program in Florida. Now in 2021, the last 10-week average is at about (sighs) 5,500 Patients wow. per week entering the program, so yeah, so it's it's been yeah. um, in, you know incredibly strong for 2021 as well um, in terms of new market entrance um, into across really all again all of the states. In Pennsylvania, also a market huh. that were. Uh, that we're active in and um, that the, the patient's uh, profile there and demand um, also is is very very strong in
0: 21. Kim I want to get your thoughts on uh, H.R. 1996 it's called the Safe Banking Act the U.S. House of Representatives passed it and this would give state authorized marijuana businesses easier access to banking services this has been tough for, for U.S. business owners because <laughs> you guys have been dealing in, in cash right
4: Yes, so we we deal in either cash or um, we have partnered with a company called CanPay, which if you think about it, like a a preloaded card, so if I'm a Starbucks addict, so a preloaded Starbucks card is is the easiest example. Um, And we're just starting to see some workarounds on the debit card side. But to your point, yes, it is primarily a a cash-based business. So So this is
0: a big deal? Because, I mean, look, the Democrats Democrats have tried to pass this before, but they haven't controlled the House Mm -hmm. and the Senate it previously so yep. if this goes through that's really yep. good news for you guys
4: yeah and it's, it's good news for us so i mean i will just tell you that certainly um in terms of being able to have uh, you know alternative payment methods is is a is a big deal and it's certainly a big deal for our, our consumers and from a safety and security standpoint we do have um armored car service and we you know deposit directly into the federal reserve so we've eliminated as many of those risks as possible to date and we are able to bank with state chartered banks we're just not able to bank with Federally chartered banks, for obvious reasons, so that would change that landscape. I would say more importantly, though, potentially, is the fact that we also don't have access to normalized banking or lending tools. Right. So when you look at um, rates that cannabis businesses are forced to take, it's with really subprime, you know, lenders or more at more predatory rates. So some of my peers, for example, have been forced to take out to take uh, to take debt on at you know fifteen percent to twenty percent interest rates because again, there's no access to Normal tools. We can't get mortgages. We can't um, have business lines of credit. And so that, coupled with you know the federal provisions under 280 e which are taxation um, laws, we also can't take normalized deductions. So we don't have things like normal business deductions, whether that be depreciation or you know again um, just you know expenses that you would normally be able to deduct as a business. And so those two things together make. Um, you know, make profitability very, very difficult as a legal um, under state law cannabis operator. And so right. banking would certainly help um, on that first piece um, to, to, again, give us, again, of course, being able to take other forms of payment, but also um, being able to work with um, larger institutions and have access to um, normalized um, lending and and, and, loan tools.
1: Kim, got about 40 seconds, and then we'll do some news and come back and then continue the conversation. If 280E is lifted and that tax law has changed, just quickly, 35, 40 seconds here, what would that do to your profitability picture?
4: Yeah, so last year it would have saved us about $63.5 million. (laughs) So.
1: That's so, making you <laughs> much more profitable.
4: Yes, yeah, much more profitable than um, than than wow. we were. I mean, we, we do run a profitable business currently, but yes, it would it would be um, it would be a, a great a great help.
0: Uh, Kim, let's talk more about uh, the industry at large. One thing that I was surprised to learn earlier today from my colleague Tiffany Carey, who who joined us on Quick Take, is even in areas where marijuana is legal for medicinal or for uh, recreational purposes, the illicit market. Continues to thrive. Um, Just one in three cannabis consumers in the US buys from established brick and mortar stores. That's according to a survey published this month by New Frontier Data. The most popular source remains the user's friends, while another 20% get their weed from dealers. How do you change that?
4: Yeah. And I think that, first of all, there has to be um, access, right? And it has to be easy and convenient for customers. And so even when we talk about, you know, in in Florida, for example, we have delivery, um, which is oftentimes, you know, next day or even same day. However, um, the process to get delivery is very onerous for customers. So you have to be um, present. You have to sign for it. There's this, again, this whole transaction that takes place. And it's like waiting for it in some cases can be like waiting for the cable man, right? Which no one wants to do that. So I think in some cases we need to make sure that cannabis is as convenient as the black market. Um, in many sophisticated black market areas, um, it, it's you know doorstep. It's quick. Um, it's convenient, and um, you know. So I do think that um, access and, and wider access is is really important. Um, so what and does, that like, it, does that look like, though? Del- does that look
0: like does that look like delivery? I mean, does it look like? I'm just trying to think I of think what. It
4: looks, I think. Yeah, I think it's a full omni channel experience, okay. right? I mean I think that certainly it does look like it does look like delivery it's like Amazon. For, for some. And it, yeah, I mean Amazon's right. Like like Amazon. I mean when we think about it now I don't think that, you know, tomorrow we're gonna have drones leaving cannabis on doorsteps. Well right? Amazon doesn't um, have however, it yet either, even though I, they've
0: been talking about it just for don't, years. Right.
3: Don't say never <laughs>
4: Yeah, but I do think that right. I do think that when you think about um, even how far you know alcohol delivery has come um, over the years, and or you know convenience um, to to alcohol. Again, we have to make sure that this isn't getting in the hands of children. It is a regulated product. There certainly are going to be certain barriers, um, and it will remain a regulated industry. However, I do think that if the goal is to compete head to head with the black market there needs to be one access into education and three, right. We have to be price competitive and product competitive um, with the black market as well. And so, um, which, you know, again, taking another cue from alcohol and how, how we came out of prohibition um, with alcohol, a lot of that had to do with the fact that um, we were able to educate customers on um, the safety, right. Mm -hmm. And how, um, you know, how it was safer to to actually consume products from a regulated uh, distributor as opposed to someone making bathtub gin. So I think similarly, right, and we saw that a little bit with the vape gate crisis that happened um, last year with out in California and West Coast, um, west in, on the West Coast, you know, additives being added to uh, black market products that were very, very harmful um, for customers when inhaled. And so I think that um, as, again, more widespread, Widespread uh, regulation happens across the country, hopefully at the federal level, you know, cons- consumers will um, will
1: certainly, you know, right.
4: be uh, drawn to um, safer products.
1: Hey, Kim, one question I want to ask you, and just looking at your background, I mean, you spent several years in, pro- and in private practice as a lawyer where you were specializing yep. in mergers and acquisitions. And I look at the cannabis industry and I'm just thinking it might be ripe for some more consolidation. What are your expectations there? Is that maybe in the game plan for you guys?
4: You know, absolutely I believe that um that, that cannabis um, is is certainly like any you know growth industries, and you know as as they evolve, right? There will be uh, consolidation and, and meaningful consolidation across across the industry. Certainly, also as we see um, the federal landscape shifting. Um, so you know, we already have been um, active mm-hmm. in, in the M and A arena, and we plan to continue continue to be active um, in that space. So certainly for us, and then I I'm, I would assume for, for many others, um, I think that you you absolutely will see a consolidation happen over the next, I'll call it 24 months.
1: But deals you anticipate here in 2021 for you guys to continue? Uh,
4: Sure. So we just announced, right? We just announced a deal in Pennsylvania. Um, We've been very vocal about the fact that, um, you know, our strategy has always been to uh, go deep in in states and in markets that we we decide to invest in. And so Pennsylvania is no different. We've um, embarked on a hub strategy where we're looking at full supply chain across the U.S. and wanting to make sure that we're adequately positioned, again, in an, in an ever-evolving landscape, but then, of course, doing so in a way where we can maintain profitability um, during this growth cycle. And so, you know, the Northeast is certainly um, a, a hub that we've been, we've been very focused on now, but we'll, we're also looking at opportunities in the central and southwest and northwest um, areas of the, of the country as well. Um, we think it's very important to get position, but again, um, wanting to make sure that that positioning is um, prudent, um, not only for the long term, but also, of course, uh, for the short and midterm as well. Ken, well, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. I yes.
0: Just very quickly, very, very quickly. Um, federal yeah. legalization sure. countrywide or uh, states mm-hmm. uh, one by one happened first? Yes. Which one?
4: Well, certainly we're, we're living seconds. in states one by one now, yeah. right? So, I mean, I think that's now. But, I mean, I think that, you know, if we leave it to the Senate and uh, Senator Schumer, certainly I think we'll have a proposal at least for more broader uh, legalization yeah. sometime this
0: year. He did say today he wants to do it.
1: This could be the
4: year. Yeah, it
0: could be.
1: Definitely feels that way. Kim Rivers, thank you so much. Stay in touch. Chief Executive Officer True Leave on the phone from Florida. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. I'm
3: in my car.
0: This is The Drive to the Close. That punk to music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio.
1: You know it's a busy day when you need more Bloomberg terminal screens. I already have four in front of me. I've got online. I've got this. I've got that. And yet I need more screens.
0: You need five.
1: <laughs> or six or seven or eight. <laughs> uh, let's get to The Drive to the Close. Yana Barton is back with us, co-director of growth equity at Eaton Vance, on the phone in Boston. And she uh, manages the Eaton Vance Focus Growth Opportunities Fund and uh, joins us on this Tuesday. Yana, good to have you here with us. How is the market for growth and growth opportunities right now?
5: The market for growth is always uh, bright and cheery, unlike the the screens uh, this morning. I think it's sort of indicative that while the data continues to be very um, supportive of the equity market, you're kind of due for a pullback because Hmm. the sentiment and expectations got a little bit ahead of themselves
0: yeah um so let's let's talk about that a little because depending on how you look at it stocks in the us are are, are could be expensive right evaluation american equities are trading at 35 percent above the average of the past decade uh what causes a pullback here is it if these companies don't deliver when it comes to earnings
5: that's exactly it and i think if you take a step back here in sort of mid-april the market has done a lot of work you've got hmm. s p before today up um, over 11 percentage points, which. In normal times, there's a full year's return. So the market has done a lot of work anticipating better than um, sort of feared results. And and the earnings results are coming in very strong. But what's interesting is that the stocks are not um, moving up with those earnings and revenue results. Only half of the stocks are actually moving up in price post these better than expected results. So I think you have to be very active and selective right now. It's not you know, the good news is not bad news necessarily, but I think right now the selection is key, particularly in the areas of the market that have done a lot of work today, like industrial, for example. Even if we have really good earnings and revenue results from that sector, it's still expected to be down um, year over year when compared to pre-COVID levels on this sales line. So, I think that's where investors can do um, a lot of good when they start sort of deciphering between all good news or opportunities that are still um, ample for investors over the long term.
1: So I have to say, and I know you don't like to pick stocks, so I'm not going to ask you, but your portfolio holdings (laughs) read like like a who's who. (laughs) Oh, okay. We do. (laughs) Well, but, okay. So, but, you know, your portfolio, Yana, reads like a who's who among some of these fast-growing companies, these momentum players, whether it's an Amazon, a Microsoft, I mean, PayPal, Alphabet, uh, these are all in your portfolio. We're going to hear from Netflix today. So, you know, you are among those that do have to make some decisions and pick companies or decide where you're going to allocate new money. What are the types of names you want to be allocating new money to if on a dip right now or in today's environment?
5: Well, many of the names that you mentioned were winners in 2020 and have been considerable laggards year to date. I mean, you mentioned Amazon, you mentioned Visa, you mentioned even the likes of PayPal. And that's an opportunity for us. And even within the pharma and biotech space, uh, we have a lot of names in our top sort of overweight positions. And I guess that's the point of being active and selective, the fact that the narrative hasn't really changed for these companies, particularly within the long-term opportunity as we think about digital economy continue to um, take a greater share of the overall economy, but perhaps people have gone to sort of this reopening and cyclical trade a little bit too much. And perhaps now uh, one might reconsider secular growth stories alongside these stable and cyclical stories, many of which you just mentioned. So the story hasn't really changed. In fact, we think many of them are actually um, you know, a value opportunity for some if you're looking to look out three to five years.
0: Hey, Yana, given that, that valuations are so high right now, I'm wondering what you tell uh, clients who come to you with cash. Do you tell them to, to hold off and wait for a pullback? I mean, timing the market uh, it hasn't proven easy in the past. Uh,
1: yeah, I yeah, bet yeah, Dogecoin pretty- isn't in uh, <laughs> the,
5: the list of uh, suggestions. You got a Dogecoin reference in here. <laughs> Happy Doge Day, I, Thank you very much. <laughs> that's a great point and a very difficult question to answer. I think we always say that it's time in the market rather than timing the market that's really important. But you bring up a really good point about time um, timing the market right now because – What we've seen to date, I mean, S&P 500 hasn't seen a drawdown of greater than five percentage points. And on any given year, it's usually twice that level. So you know there's going to be volatility in store. And I think the answer is you dollar cost average into your long-term opportunities, many of which are across the board. They don't have to be in one stock. They don't have to be in one style. There are plenty to be had. And, again, I want to highlight that as a growth manager, we actually – see a lot of those opportunities within traditionally defensive areas of the market uh, that we believe can offer both growth as well as that quality balance sheet, consumer staples, industrials, healthcare, again, and even pockets of consumer discretionary.
0: But like over a long, like when we talk dollar cost averaging, you're talking over how long of a period of time? Years. Yeah.
5: That's what (laughs) (laughs) investing um, is all about, years. And I think a true investor measures whether they've done well or not. Um, in, in, in years. Uh, listen, equity is a long duration uh, product and one should therefore measure success or failure in those terms. And if, if your window is shorter than that, then you know, you're know, you a trader, and there's plenty of opportunities for those as well. Um, I think the market, as we look at it today, presents plenty of opportunities, whether you define yourself as an investor or a trader. We believe that investing over the long term is how you really generate uh, capital appreciation.
1: Well, and it's interesting. So are you anticipating then, are you part of the bullish camp that, you know, we're going to be in maybe a productive and positive equity market uh, for the next, I don't know, year, two years? I mean, what's your visibility here?
5: Um, I say the short answer is yes. Uh, if you look at just the macro data points that are coming in, we are slashing all records. I mean, you look at um, expected real economic growth activity, nominal growth activity. You look at um, earnings results. Um, you couple that with insights into the consumer that is at the strongest uh, point um, that we've seen on record in terms of its balance sheet and uh pent-up spending. So I think this really bodes well for just the continued sort of bullish leanings of investors. But This is the time where you don't want to be passive. This is the time where you look at what has lagged the market, again, those areas of the market that I mentioned, and lean into those and buy them on days like today because the market is being sold off across the board. Um, And that's the opportunity. The opportunity is there's plenty. There's always a bull market somewhere. And we think that there's plenty of opportunity for investors, again, that are um, investing for longer than just, you know, weeks or a month.
0: Hey, Yana, just very briefly here in in 30 seconds, uh, just thinking about what we've been talking about today with the rising virus cases outside of the U.S. and India getting hit so hard, uh, the U.S. State Department advising people not to travel to 80 percent of the globe. We're seeing a pullback in travel stocks as a result of that. How concerned are you?
5: Well, we knew that COVID was the sort of known unknown of 2021. And every day that passes, I think there's a confirmation of that, particularly with what you just cited. And I think it also, again, demonstrates this uneven recovery um, and the fact that you just don't want to get ahead of ahead of yourself when you're sort of thinking about reopening trade globally. U.S. is in a very different spot as it relates to just COVID vaccination trends and activity versus uh, particularly the emerging markets and areas of the market that you just mentioned. So that's why I think, again, investing with an eye of being selective and knowing the time horizon is very important.
1: All right, Yana, good to check in with you. Yana Barton, she's co-director of Growth Equity at Eaton Vance on the phone from Boston.